leads you to the lions. When faithfulness leads you to the lions. One of the difficult things sometimes to preach from a text like this is if you grew up in church, if you were a church kid or spent time in Sunday school, you have heard these stories so many times that, that when you hear a message preached on them, you, you can easily get distracted and check out because you think, I, I know the story. He goes in the lion's den. The angel shuts the mouth of the lions. And Daniel's okay. We can go home, Pastor. We can be first at Frisch's for once. You don't need to preach for 50 minutes. And, and so my, my concern that I've seen over the years is this. There are many Christians in church that know the Bible's stories, but there is absolutely a disconnect between how those stories could possibly apply to them. Like, what does Daniel and the lion's den have anything to do with us in 2022? And so that's where it's important that the Word of God is, is not just proclaimed, but it is expositated to you so that, uh, so that the Spirit can apply it to your life. So I picked this title out uh, because as I was, I was trying to think of a title that would tie into to what I wanted to preach at today. And I, I asked a question on Facebook a few days ago, and I, I have my own answers, but I just was curious to see the responses. And man, we had some good responses. But basically I asked the question, is, and it was along these lines, and this is what my message is about. Why is it in society today that we still have this mentality that if we do good and we behave right, that God owes us a reward in the present life? That almost, and one of the answers that I, that I saw given, and I agree, was in a lot of ways... We take a principle, now sowing and reaping is in the Bible, but karma, guys, is not a biblical response. We're not Hindu. I hope you're not Hindu this morning. If you are, you're welcome to be here. And I'm glad you're here. But we do not teach and believe Hindu beliefs here. And karma is one of those. Whereas, if you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad. Now, there's a principle there to some degree, biblically, that can happen. But that's not a, a solid, fast rule that God is going to always bless you, especially the way you think you should be blessed, when you are faithful and obedient. Quite honestly, faithfulness sometimes can lead you right into the lion's den. It can lead you straight into the lion's den. God honors faithfulness. Don't get me wrong. He honors faithfulness. He can and does bless obedience according to His plan and purpose of blessing. He does deliver us from trials. Absolutely, He does all of those things. But, He will do it in His way and purpose. And often it looks much, much different than what you think it should or what you expected it to. So, we need to be careful that we don't put words in God's mouth and we don't cast our expectations as mere mortals onto a supernatural being such as God. Okay? So, when we think about the idea that if I'm good and if I'm obedient and I just do everything the way God would want me to do, that everything's going to work out in my life, that I'm going to get comfort and ease and blessings. Because that's really a large part of the prosperity gospel today, isn't it? Many churches say if you do A, B, and C, God will reward you with, uh, with you know, D, E, and F, right? And so that doesn't always happen. And I want to show you an example. I could give you many. But I want you to see something in, in the Scriptures. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, just the first half of that verse, speaking, Jesus is speaking of John the Baptist. Most of you have probably heard of John the Baptist. Listen to what Jesus has to say of this man. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, I know that's not clear in today's culture today, but every one of you that are here today was born of a woman. 
All of you. And of everybody that's ever lived on earth, they were born of a woman. And Jesus is saying, among those born of a woman, i.e. everybody, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. If Jesus stood up and said that about you, you can take it to the bank. You're a pretty good guy. you got some good things going for you. But, I want you to see something that happens with this John the Baptist. A few chapters later in Matthew 14, verse 3, listen to where John is at. This obedient man that was out in the wilderness preaching repentance to people. The forerunner of Christ Himself. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. This faithful, honorable, greatest man, according to Jesus' own words, that ever lived, is bound and in jail. Why? Because he stood on the truth. He was being obedient. He was preaching the Word faithfully. God didn't give him a jet. He didn't give him a Mercedes. He didn't give him a condo on the beach. He was bound by this pagan king and thrown in jail. And seven verses later in Matthew 14.10, the king sends, or the, the tetriarch sends, and has John beheaded in the prison. That was the way that his life ended up. So the idea that if we are faithful and obedient, that God is going to just make everything a bed of roses for us and pave the way is contradicted throughout the Word of God itself. When we read about John, and we think about the way that the world responds, and even Christians respond, would we say that that was fair? Was it fair for John to give his entire life to the Lord Jesus only to have it end in that type of way? We may say, that's unfair. That's not right. God should have protected him. God should have done this or God should have done that. Again, we are projecting our thoughts, our ideas onto an all-knowing God. That's a bad idea, guys. We don't know what God is doing, but we know the character and nature of God and we know that what He does is right and what He does is just and what He does will ultimately work together for good. Is it about karma? Is it about the prosperity gospel? We need to change our thinking. We hear that so much in our society that a part of it gets ingrained in us, but we need to try to let the Spirit of God remove that and look at this biblically today. Because many of you get discouraged. I get discouraged sometimes when we think that we're doing everything we can right for God and things just keep getting harder. We think, why, is it, why shouldn't it be getting a little easier? God, can't we just let up a little bit? Why is it so tough? Why does ch- I've heard people say this. I've said this. Church shouldn't be so hard. It shouldn't be so difficult. Why shouldn't it be? We understand how we are supposed to treat people and how we're supposed to act, but sometimes we just don't do it. We get in the flesh. We get outside of the Word of God. We get in the Spirit. And we don't treat people. I agree. This is the last place that you would ever expect to get hurt or sinned against. But guys... There's no avoiding it. I don't care. You can pick any of the 50 churches on Millville Avenue. It's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to you. It just is. I'm not excusing it. I'm not justifying it. But I'm saying that we have got to get outside of the idea that people in this room are perfect and will never hurt us. And we've got to get outside of the idea that we are perfect and we'll never hurt anybody. 
We've got to understand that our mission is to love one another and love Jesus. And if somebody wrongs us, we've got to forgive them. We've got to focus our eyes on God and we've got to keep going. Because we need to get in the fight. And too many people are sidelined and just gotten plumb out of it because somebody hurt their feelings. Do we give up that easy? Can you imagine how many times Jesus must have got His feelings hurt on a daily basis? When we do good, it's ultimately for the Lord's glory. And God has a plan behind it. Listen to what Jesus said at the end of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, verses 10-12. through 12. He says, you talk about blessings. We want the blessings when we do good and, and when we're obedient, when we're faithful. That's when we expect the blessings. Listen to what God says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He says when you do righteous acts, righteous deeds, and get persecuted, then you're blessed. We want to avoid that part. We want to do righteous deeds and get blessings from God, but let's skip the persecuted part. Right? He goes on, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. When you stand for Christ, when you stand on His Word, all of those things are going to happen. People are going to revile you, they're going to persecute you, and they're going to utter evil against you. And we say, well, I just won't say anything then. I just won't witness. I just won't share my faith because I want people to like me. Jesus already said, you will be blessed by Him, and it's much, much better to receive the blessings of God than the applause of the world. I can tell you that. It doesn't always feel that way. But feelings aren't the gauge that we go by. We go by the Word of God. He says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. We are just following in a line of what's always happened to God's people. Nothing new under the sun, guys. We're experiencing just what they did. And so I want us to have that mentality in mind now as we look at this text today. Because as we get into chapter 6, this chapter, I told you that the book is divided into really two sections and we can split it up beyond that. But the first six chapters, which we've been in, are more of a biographical thing. So we've been looking at the life of Daniel and his people and these kings in Babylon. After chapter six, we get into more of a prophetic scene, which we'll be talking about in the coming weeks. So we come to chapter six. Daniel is nearing the end of his life. He's 85 years old now. He's been in captivity for... Close to 70 years, which was the prophesied time of this captivity. So we are on the brink of things winding down to those 70 uh, years of captivity that Daniel had talked about. Now remember, if you've been with us, Daniel has been kept. He's been spared by God. His life has been. But he certainly hasn't been spared from trials, has he? He certainly hasn't been spared from trouble. He was 15 years old approximately when he was taken 1,500 miles from his homeland. He probably saw some of his family and friends killed. He ends up there. He has to serve under pagan kings. He has to serve under people who would lie against him, who would do him wrong. He was tossed aside and just kind of used when, when, when everything was good, everybody forgot about Daniel and then there was a need. They'd say, oh hey, there's this guy, go get him. And he was just kind of like a puppet brought in and out whenever somebody needed him. I can imagine that his life was difficult. There's no record 
in Scripture that Daniel ever married. And a reason why that possibly could be is because he was put under the charge of the eunuchs. And if you know anything about the eunuchs, they were males that were castrated. And so quite possibly that could have been the lot for Daniel. I'm not saying it was or it wasn't, but that's a good possibility. So any hopes of a family, any hopes of a wife were taken away from him at a young age most likely. And uh, so things have not been easy for Daniel. But has Daniel been faithful? As we've read this book, have you seen a man of faith and courage and boldness? I hope you have. That's what I've tried to communicate to you. But Daniel was not spared from the trials. God kept him, but He didn't keep him through the difficulties. He allowed him to go through those things. And He'll do the same in our lives, guys. We're going to go through trials. We're going to go through difficulties. And God may not always deliver us from those, but He will bring us through those. Okay? So I want to do something today with you. I want to try to give you five characteristics. Five characteristics of a faithful believer. And I want to take these straight out of our text today. And I want you to ask yourself as you look at these things in the life of Daniel. If you consider yourself a believer and you consider yourself a faithful believer or you say maybe I need to work on that. Maybe I need to become a more faithful believer. There are five characteristics in this text today that I believe we can look at to say, okay, these are things, these are qualities that I want to embody or that I hopefully do embody. So look with me first at verses 1 through 3. Specifically, I want you to look at verse 3. Okay? So what's going on is there's a new king. His name is Darius. Some people believe Darius is a title rather than a name, and we won't get into that discussion. But either way that you take it, there is definitely a new a new. Uh, king in power, if you will. The Medo-Persian Empire has taken over Babylon now. And so Darius is the king, or the title here, and he's calling together some of the best men in the kingdom. Verse 1 tells us he calls these satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one. So here we see Daniel again. He's involved in the elite company here. But I want you to look at verse 3, and I want to pull something right out of that verse Number one, that exhibits a characteristic of a faithful person. It says, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps. Look at this, underline this or write it down. Because an excellent spirit, number one, was found in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Daniel had an excellent spirit. Faithful followers of Jesus Christ will have an excellent spirit or an extraordinary spirit about them. What does that mean? It's hard to really nail it down into one word definition, but Daniel was different. He was honorable. He, he had something about his entire life that made him stand out, which is why this king and many other kings took notice of Daniel. He was authentic, we might say. When you looked at him, you saw somebody that was filled with truth. And filled with joy. And it just resonated on his face. And you saw it in his life. And it made Daniel different. But here's the thing. When we look at Daniel, he's 85 years old now. He's been through a lot in a pagan kingdom under pagan kings. In our society, and maybe you can relate to this, the older you get, what happens to your patience? What happens to your tolerance? There was a movie in the early 90's called Grumpy Old Men. Are you there today? Thank you for being honestly. 
We see movies and memes today. We see, remember, maybe some of you have seen the, the, the movie or the meme of Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino. Out there with, you know, with a shotgun, stay off my yard, stay off my lawn kind of thing. The Muppets, remember the two grumpy old Muppets that sat up in... It's just this idea that as we get older and life has just weighed on us and, 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 and things have happened, that we just are less tolerant, we're less patient, we're just aggravated all the time and we just get grumpy. We just get a little bit grumpy in life. But Daniel is just the opposite. He's been through all that and more. And he has an excellent spirit still about him. Life was tough, but life had not changed Daniel for the worst. And I'm afraid that many of us let life change us for the worst. There was a story of an elderly couple. They were out on a road trip and they stopped at a little diner to get some food. And they left and they were about 30-40 minutes away from the diner. And all of a sudden the wife is digging through her purse and searching around. And the husband says, what on earth are you looking for? And she says... I left my glasses on the table. And so he, he's upset, and he lets it be known that he's upset. And of course, there's no easy place to pull off, so he has to drive a little farther. And finally, he pulls her in a place and turns around, and he's letting her have it for the 45 minutes or so all the way back to the diner. And he finally gets there, and, and she's nervous and wants to hurry up and get in there to get her glasses. And he's still letting her have it as she opens up the door to go in. And he says, well... We're all the way back here now. You might as well get my hat and credit card while you're in there. We get intolerant with others when we ourselves are often guilty of doing the same things that we're mad at the people for doing, right? It's just one of those things that unfortunately defines our society, but it doesn't have to. Daniel's been through all these things, and yet he still has an excellent spirit. He'd been faithful though. Is it right that God now at 85 years old is bringing him into probably the biggest trial and temptation that he's ever faced? Like he's been through all this stuff and he's been so faithful and he's passed every test with flying colors. God, why can't you give him the house with the picket fence and a nice little garden and let him live out his last days in comfort? That's what we would do. That's what we would want for Daniel and that's what we would want for ourselves. So why doesn't God do that for him because that's what we expect we expect God to reward us with ease and comfort and make everything rosy for us along the way and Daniel's example was no matter what would come in his life he kept an excellent spirit about him is that easy no is it possible yes because he kept his focus on God and he didn't let life drain him of his joy he didn't let life drain him of his purpose and he didn't let life stop him from being faithful. Can you say that today about yourself? Or has life sidelined you? Has life taken away all the good things that God has promised to His people? You've let the trials of life rob you of the abundant life that Jesus promised. Daniel had an excellent spirit. And God was going to continue to use him to make a difference. The next thing I want you to see is not only did... A faithful man of God have an excellent spirit, but a faithful man of God had a faultless life. Verses 4-9, through nine, but I, I want to hone in again on another specific verse. I want you to see what it says uh, about Daniel as we get into this text. Uh, it says in verse 4, Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault. Listen, because he was faithful 
and no error, here it is, or fault was found in Him. He lived a faultless life. We might write next to that verse, He was a man of integrity. He was a man who could be trusted to not just say what was right, but to do what was right. Proverbs 10.9 says, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. It's exhausting to pretend to be one thing and actually be something else outside. It's exhausting. You have got to live a consistent life of integrity if you want to walk securely and to be found faithful. But look real quick at at these verses. I want us to see what's happening here. Look at verse 4. It says, The presidents, the other presidents, and the satraps sought to find. Underline that word find. It's a word in the Hebrew that literally means to dig into the dirt. They were digging for dirt is what this is saying. They sought to dig up some dirt to complain against Daniel And look, here's that word again. But they could find, they could dig up no ground for complaint or fault because He was faithful and no error or fault was found in Him. They dug and they dug. Isn't that what we see? Are you already tired of the political ads that are going on? Because nobody has any principle or policy to stand on. It's just like a bunch of kids saying, guess what He did? Well, guess what He did? Well, let me tell you what they did. Listen. We know that 99.9% of the folks in Washington are corrupt regardless of the party. I want to know what you're going to do. And then once you say you're going to do it, I want to hold your feet to the fire that you do it. Because it's easy to stand up and say, well, if I'm elected, I promise that I will do this and this and this. But they never do it. They never do it. Right? And that's what the problem is, is once they get in office, they just go off on their agenda. And once we're, we're the same way. Like once we get saved, we think, well now, I'm good with God. I can live however I want to. Be a person of integrity. As you study this book, as you see the things that God expects of you, live them out. And when you fall short, and fall short you will, confess, be honest, apologize when necessary. Ask for forgiveness. And get back up and start walking again, guys. That's all we can do is to try our best to live faithfully. But that has to come with an excellent spirit. We have to be different from the world. And we have to live a life that's a life of integrity. So look what they do. Jump down to verse 6 and then we'll skip back up one. In verse 6 it says, These presidents and satraps came by agreement. That's another word that you need to understand. It does mean that they had the same mind, that they were on the same page. But it literally means, and, and you might, I don't know what translation you're using, but you might see a little mark, a little notation next to that word agreement. That's usually for a footnote. And if you look down at the bottom of your Bible, there might be a footnote like there is in mine. Uh, and it says that that word means a thronging. So it's, what it's saying there when they came by agreement is they all got together in a little mob. They said, we've got a plan and we're going to go to Darius with our plan and we're all going to just bust through the door and tell him what we expect him to do. That's what they're saying there. These presidents and satraps came by a mob that was in agreement to the king and said, Oh, King Darius, live forever. And their plan is to say, we got an idea. For the next month, why don't we make you the object of our worship? And if anybody falls down and worships anything other than you, king, they're going to lose their life. Now, where did they come up with this idea? Well, in verse 4, they were digging for dirt 
on Daniel. And they couldn't find anything. So look at how they came to this conclusion. Now jump back to verse 5. These men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. They took his faithfulness and his obedience to God, which was right, and they were going to use that to try to end his life. He didn't do anything wrong in the world, so they were going to try to turn his faith against him and cause the world to persecute him. And that is exactly what will happen to you if you follow God faithfully. The world will turn on you. All the people that you're trying so hard to not offend and to be friends with will ultimately be the ones that will turn their heel on you if you're not careful. Stand for God and let the chips fall where they may, friends. Take a stand for God. Someone said that character is what a man does when nobody's looking. Daniel was a man of integrity. He stood firm on what he believed. He had an excellent spirit. He had a faultless life. And here's number 3, verses 10-11. through 11. He had a consistent devotion. He had a consistent devotion. Darius passes this law for 30 days. If anyone breaks this, this law and worships any other god, they're going to be punished. Look at verse 10. I want you to see this. When Daniel knew, underline that word, Daniel knew that the document had been signed. He wasn't blindsided by this. He knew what the law said. He was well aware of what Darius was doing. He was well aware of what these 120 men were doing. He was well aware of the consequences of what would happen if he didn't obey this. Daniel knew that the document had been signed. He could have easily compromised. He could have said, 30 days, I'll pray quietly when nobody's looking. won't hurt anything. And I'll avoid any kind of trouble. He could have said, well, I've done this for 85 years, God. I want to take a little time off. He could have done that. But look what Daniel does. He has a consistent devotion. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open. Underline that word. He didn't pull the blinds down. He didn't lock the door. He flung open the windows so the whole world could see if need be. He flings open the windows. He faces right towards Jerusalem. There was no doubt about who he was praying to. He was faced and focused towards his homeland where the temple had been, where worship of the one true God took place. He flings open the windows. He faces towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees as a posture of reverence. You don't have to pray on your knees. That's not the only posture that God commands you to do. But he is showing reverence towards God. He gets down on his knees three times a day. And he prayed. And look what he did. He gave thanks. He's doing something that in a moment's notice could end his life. And yet, he's not frantically laying down all these, oh God, help me do this. He may have been, and we're not told, but what we are told is that he's giving thanks. He's giving thanks that he has an opportunity to talk to God, to pray to God. But I want you to see the last part of this verse where I get this idea of a consistent devotion from. He gets down and prays and gave thanks before God as he had done previously. 
I heard a question asked as I was studying this. I was listening to some sermons by other folks that had preached through Daniel. And, and one of those sermons, this guy asked this question. And it stopped me in my tracks. And I, I hope that you will not just skip over it. He asked this question in his sermon. What does it take to stop your prayer life? What does it take to stop your prayer life? Does it take difficulties? Does it take a trial? Does it take just circumstances of life to cause you to give up on praying? Does it take good things happening in your life to where everything's going well and so you just say, well, nothing to really pray about. Thank you, God. And off you go, if that at all. But then he asked another question that was probably even more poignant. First question was, what does it take to stop your prayer life? Second question was this, what does it take to start your prayer life? Ouch. Consistent devotion. Daniel didn't pray just when trials came. He had prayed through the good times and the bad times. When things got tough, he prayed. When things were good, he prayed. Because it was a very part of his life. Guys, until we make prayer and the Word of God and spiritual disciplines a part of our life, we will always falter to live a committed, faithful life to God. When we let outside interference disconnect us from where we need to be with God, we will never be in tune with Him the way that we need to be. We need to be able to pray before things get bad, while things are bad, and after things are no longer bad. We need to pray before things get good, while things are good, and after things begin to not be so good again. A consistent devotion to Him. There was a man named Craig Davison. Craig Davison lived in Phoenix, Arizona. In 1978, uh, uh, Leanne, you uh, you can share this with Doreen. She'll appreciate this story. In 1978, he made up his mind that he was going to run every day. I don't know, something was obviously wrong with him. But he decided that he wanted to run every day. And from 1978 to 1997, the man ran every single day. During that time period, he found over $5,000 in change, which he used to take a trip to Hawaii for a second honeymoon. Amazing. Amazing that someone would want to run. Number one. Number two, amazing that he was that consistent with it. Number three, amazing that he found that much money. But here's the, here was the, uh, the point of that little story that the writer asked. He ran, or he estimated, this man estimated that he ran in that time 120,000 miles. 120,000 miles. We all would like the $5,000 but are we really willing to run 120,000 miles to get it? He got it through consistency. He got it by getting up every day and running and having his eyes open, being aware of what was going on. We need a consistent devotion. We need a faultless life. We need to have a different spirit about us. And number four, we need a humble submission. Verses 14-25, through we need a humble submission. I won't spend a lot of time in this section, but I want you to see two verses. Verse 16 says, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. So at this time, he has been found out. He's praying with the windows open. They come in. They say, Ha ha, there he is. Get him. He broke the law. And the king doesn't want to do this. 
The king cares for Daniel. You can see that in verse 15. The king doesn't want this to happen. Verses 14 and 15, he says, he was distressed and he set his mind, but the king has his hands tied. He made this law. There's no way around it. And so Daniel is going to be fed to the lions for his faithfulness. And so the king says to him in verse 16, Daniel is brought up and the king says, May your God, whom you serve, continually... See, the king recognized it. The God who you serve continually. May that God deliver you. And do you see what Daniel says after that? Nothing. I don't see anything in my Bible, do you? The next verse says he's walked down into the lion's den. The king says, may your God deliver you. Daniel shuts his mouth and he takes the walk. You don't hear him complaining, God, this is not fair. You don't hear him trying to justify things to the king, trying to talk his way out of it. He humbly surrendered and submitted to the man, but most of all, to God. And he takes that walk. The faithful, obedient man of God is not walking off into the sunset with blessings and prosperity. He's going into the lion's den where probably in his mind he thought, if God doesn't bring me through, I'm gone. But I'm ready. We sang that song on the banks of the promised land. He was ready. He was ready if that was what was going to happen. We might think it's cruel and unfair that God would bring this 85-year-old man into the lion's den. But Daniel didn't feel that way. Daniel didn't feel that way at all. And we know the story, but please don't check out. We're almost done, but I want you to see what happens. The king's up all night. He's thinking about this. He's saying, I I just hope Daniel somehow makes it through this. In the morning, he runs down to check and see. And he he hollers down for Daniel in verse 21. says, Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. Verse 22, My God sent His angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. He didn't let the king have it. He didn't chew him out and say, Ha! Say you thought you were something. My God's a lot greater than you'll ever be. He didn't brag or boast. He wasn't arrogant or hateful one bit. He just testified that the reason why he was still there was because God sent His angel. Now, again, we can't be dogmatic, but I'm, I'm pretty confident. Do you know who that angel probably was? I believe it was Jesus, the pre-incarnate, we call those Christophanies, of Jesus Christ. Could have been one of the archangels, doesn't matter, whatever angel it was, but I do believe it was probably the pre-incarnate Christ, who is often referred to as an angel in those types of settings. And so, we see a humble submission by Daniel. And if you want to live a faithful life, you have got to get out of the way. You've got to remove yourself from the equation. Or else you will never, ever serve God and submit to God as king if you're on the throne. He can't be king if you're fighting Him for that seat. He is king regardless, I should say. But in your life, if you fail to give Him that position, He'll have it anyway. But things will be difficult. You'll never live for His kingdom trying to build your own. You'll never make much of His kingdom if it's all about your own little civilization and you'll never be satisfied in life in your home or your church 
if it always depends on getting what you want. It's a surrender to God. And the last thing I want you to see, and I'm done, verses 25 through 28, a faithful man or woman of God will leave a godly legacy. A godly legacy will be the result of you following and obeying God. You may not get prosperity and blessings in this life, but you will leave a legacy and an example that other believers can look to and be encouraged and strengthened and ultimately give God glory because your life was different, because you were consistent, because you were a person of integrity, because you were humble and surrendered and submitted to God. Daniel, 85 years old, had lived through many kingdoms. He started out in Jerusalem. He ended up in Babylon. Now the Medo-Persians were there. He'd seen... Nebuchadnezzar, he's seen Belshazzar, he's seen Darius, he's going to see Cyrus. I mean, you name it. He's been through all sorts of kingdoms because kingdoms come and kingdoms go. But God's kingdom stands forever. But here's the amazing thing, and I want you to think about this. Daniel left a legacy. Remember in chapter 4, a few weeks ago when we preached about Nebuchadnezzar's testimony? Daniel pointed Nebuchadnezzar to faith. Remember? Nebuchadnezzar became a believer because of Daniel. And look at what happens here to Darius. Look at these verses, verses 25 through 28. Specifically, look at verse 26. Darius says, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. Listen to what he says about this God. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. It's very possible that Darius, based on his statement, now we don't know everything that he did and did he just make a statement or did he live it out, but quite possibly Darius could have become a believer because of Daniel's faithful witness and testimony in his faithfulness to the Word of God. But that's not all. I would argue that Daniel left a legacy so great that some of you in this very room are reaping the rewards of what Daniel did. Thousands of years before you say, Pastor, how do you believe that? If we were to go all the way to the New Testament and we were to think about the Christmas story and we celebrate and there are certain things that we that stick out in our minds. I want to read to you Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what it says there. I know we get into Christmas mode early, so Brian, uh, Kim, you'll be happy. We're going to talk a little bit of Christmas this morning, even though it's 100 days away still. Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, we might call them magi, from the east came to Jerusalem. Now our Christmas stories get skewed and we generally have an idea that there were three wise men because of the gifts. Gold, frankincense, and mercy, there were three wise men. That, the Bible never says that. There could have been three wise men and there could have been much more. We don't know. But what's interesting is who these men were. Who were these men? They came from the east. We would call that Persia. Modern day Iran. But Babylon fell, and what empire took over? The Medo Persian. How would these men, 1,500 miles away, 
600 years after Daniel, be noticing this star and understand the story of a Messiah that was to come and to make this journey to come and worship this one. Where did they hear that from? Daniel. Not directly from Daniel, but because of what he had said and had been written down and read, the testimony and witness of Daniel was working in the lives of these wise men. The story that we're reading in our Bible today is there because God used Daniel to be a part of that narrative. He used Daniel to be a witness in a pagan land. They took him out of Jerusalem, but it didn't matter. You couldn't take Jerusalem out of Daniel, so to speak. He still made much of God in that pagan land. And God used him to influence. It says that these wise men came from the east to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. And we have come, for what reason? To worship him. To worship him. The Messiah. The Ancient of Days that Daniel would prophesy about. The stone cut out from a mountain not made from human hands. This Jesus and His kingdom. Daniel had talked about and these wise men knew the story and they traveled 600 years later, 1,500 miles to worship Him. And we're worshiping Him today. Because you know why? Wise men still seek Him. Wise men still seek Him today. The Bible says that there's none that seeks after God. But once you become a follower of Christ, you should seek Him all your life. You should seek to know Him deeper. You should seek to serve Him greater. You should seek to be obedient in everything. You should seek for Him to increase so that you will decrease. Seek Him today while you have a chance. I'm going to invite Chad to come and he's going to lead us in a song of invitation this morning. And I want to ask you, if you consider yourself